what it's it a should team, be. It's a team sport. Yeah, Everything totally. I do is for the team. Yep. For whether they're going to benefit from it tomorrow, or they're going to benefit from us building this thing five now? years, or the yeah. person I leave this legacy to, they're going to benefit from it from that. Yeah. So it's a team sport. All right. Welcome Thank you for joining us. Another for a episode. Episode of, of Between, Between Two, two taps. taps. Bryce and I painfully do that every single episode uh so thank you for listening to that we are joined today by david wrench of mckesson how are you doing david thanks for coming on the show i'm doing well thanks for having me you're very welcome and as i was saying before the show to people who aren't aware david is actually one of our good friends here at galvanize at the co-working space and this should be a little fun of an episode just because uh we we know you we can we can yep have a little bit of fun here, yep. and uh, in addition, you also went through the Galvanize program for uh, web development. So, uh, no, as much you and data science, data science, yes. data science. That's right. Yep. Wow, you're of the minority there. <laughs> I feel like we always have those web dev people on. So, yeah. So, when did you start? I started. Wow, right into it. July, June, or July, June or July of, of 2017. Correct. The yeah. first Galvanize say, Phoenix first data ones, science yeah. cohort, G44. Yeah. yeah. So you were here from the beginning of Galvanize. At this location, pretty yes. much, yeah. Right, yep. yeah. Now, did, did, were you born and raised in Arizona, or did you come over from somewhere else? Or nope. I was born and raised in Michigan for 20 years. Then I spent uh, almost 10 years in California. 20 years, wow. And then I've been in, in Phoenix for a couple of years now. Okay, so I didn't think you were over 30, so you just dated yourself I, for everybody. I have just reached 30. I was rounding up for most of those dates <laughs> for where I was, but no, um, I, I, w- I spent the last uh, before I moved to Phoenix. I was in uh, California. Now, when we're talking about Michigan, uh, this is totally probably just a stereotype right off the bat um, but when I think of Michigan I don't really think of like a tech centric you know place in the world I don't think of like you know a California Silicon Valley type. I hate to bring them up but I don't think of a Silicon Valley type a San Francisco Phoenix type is was Michigan to California you said you went to California right now was Michigan Michigan to California and now uh, looking back on it in contrast to Phoenix different uh, I mean what is it less tech-centric in Michigan? Is it is it coming around just like Phoenix? Um. Uh, Michigan, compared to California, is very much less tech-centric, but they've been trying to make some changes over the period uh, since I've left, which is about eight to ten years. So, and then my move from Michigan to California was not a tech move, actually. I did not get into technology, really, until I was already in California and right. had, had was moving from San Diego to, or in L.A., to the San Francisco area, actually. So I made a, a technology move, actually, in my mid-20s, and uh, it was not motivated from Michigan to California. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I didn't think it was. I was just curious because with the onset of so much of this tech stuff and, and, and startup world coming to Phoenix, I always, you know, think about that in contrast to different places where it's not happening. Yeah. Um, and so, so what what brought you from Michigan to California, San Diego? You said mm-hmm. to yeah. Uh, San Francisco to here. What? How did that whole process come about? That was that was all military. As I joined Nikki the military Sparkly. right out of high school. Actually, I graduated high school early to join the military. Oh, that's right. You in the military? Yeah, I, I spent my first that. four yep. years in the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps Infantry doing uh, heavy machine gun and anti-tank warfare mis- uh, guided missile. Oh shit! Anti-tank warfare, that. like so, LSV stuff. Uh, no, I was actually mounted on a Humvee, and we would have anti-tank guided missiles and/or um, heavy machine guns and whatnot. And then, so that was my first four years of active duty in the military then and that was right out of high school that was right out of high school and then I took 
I got out and I was out about three months before I wanted to go back in, and, but I wanted to do college as well. So I was back in Michigan. I, I had left California. I was in Southern California for my uh, time in the Marine Corps. I was back in Michigan going to uh, community college and I wanted to go back in. However, I did not get the most career training coming out of the Marine Corps, So I, but I have had grandparents and uncles that were in the Air Force and they spoke yep. highly of it. So I actually joined the Air National Guard three months after oh, I really? got back out. And I spent the next six years in the Air National Guard in, in Michigan, Indiana, and California. Air National oh, Guard. Wow. So you've actually been a part of the, you mean, armed forces for a while then. Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no idea. I mean, when we talk about the first four years that you mentioned, I mean, that's, that being totally detached from that second six years is actually incredible. I had no idea. Now, in that time, I know a few people that are in the, the reserves right now and one of my buddies that I actually do a podcast for uh, is it does lieutenant training. Um, he, he's based here in Phoenix, but he, he trains lieutenants and stuff. And I feel like we, we have such a different idea of what we think that life is like than it really is. I mean, I, when I talk to him, you, you're able to pursue certain interests. You're able to have your cell phone and, and look up YouTube videos and listen to media. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I think some of us, when we think of, you know, the forces, we think of such a strict, re, you know, regime oh, totally, or such. Yeah. When you were going through this, and apologize to everybody listening for the loudness, it's a bit uh, hectic in here today. But when you were going through this, was there at any time that you started to develop an interest for anything technology related? Did you ever think of, maybe I'll have a different job here that might be related to coding or something? I mean, like, how did that love develop into where you're at now as I mean, a fairly accomplished coder? No, it was very late into my military career and my schooling that I actually was turned on to the idea of computer systems, data analytics, and anything oriented around that. Because my my father, he was a he's been a um, mainframe programmer for almost 30 years now, working for a Japanese-based company, mm -hmm. writing computer scripts and stuff like that for the longest time. My brother's a web designer, web developer. He's gone through a lot of that kind of um, computer-centric career as well. I did not get into it actually until the lat the latter half of my Air Force time where I was actually working for a unit on a project that had a lot to do with building data products for the Air National Guard in California. So it was more out of a necessity that I found out I had aptitude for it. And then, then I started getting into it actually. And that, I was about 26 at the time actually. So it wasn't 20, between 24 and 26, I was actually just kind of feeling out and getting accustomed to it. Other. Otherwise, before that, from when I was in high school all the way through, you know, until that time, I really was not directed towards that because of my family or my father or my brother. It right. was actually, I was, I was just like, computers are computers. I wasn't very good with them until I wanted to be good with them, and then I applied myself to it, and then, you know, it just went from there. You know, it, it's, for me, being 23 years old and, you know, obviously on the younger side to most people, I, I don't think I'm super young, but I guess the, in the, the whole scheme of things, it's fairly young. Compared to me, you are. It's amazing to think that I could fast forward my life three <laughs> years, right, to 26 and find a new passion potentially and still have enough time to, <laughs> to pursue that new passion. I mean, when I, when I think when we think of the workforce and we think of, you know, professionals and, and all this, we were under the the false view that you have to start when you're 17 years old and if you haven't yeah. you know been in the industry then you're never going to be able to get in and learn and I think that your story is kind of a perfect example of like you can be any age and really pick up something new and run with it and yeah. I mean I don't know if that's just a product of 
you know, how easy it is to in America to you know sign up for courses and, and educate ourselves and use YouTube to self-educate, not even go to school and learn things. But um, I just think it's it's unique that we're not stuck in a job forever. I feel like back in the day, you'd take a job and then you'd be there for 35 years. I mean, I don't actually know that, but um, I don't know. I think it's unique that you, at 26, you were able to find something new by a matter of hobby and accident, and, and you kind of were able to still have enough time to run with that. And I mean, here we are, you're still young and have a lot to go so yeah 30 30 now uh so it's definitely the infancy of my career in this in this regard yeah but for sure I, st I started actually i was torn between doing software engineering or data sciences when i was in san diego because when i was there it was 2013 data sciences was just kind of becoming a thing i was already doing this thing in which we now have a, a name for it which is data sciences and so just all those Google searches, all those infographics, all those blogs that were just coming out yeah. says like, hey, this is data science, it's, it's a yeah. new thing, and whatnot. And so I just discovered, oh, what I was passionate about was called this. But for the couple years prior to that, I was actually trying to be like a full stack web developer, and I was learning on my own, all this other stuff, because I was trying to apply that to the job I was doing with the um, Air National Guard in California, because I was building a data product that I wanted the front end to look really nice. Like I just wanted to have, because that's what I saw my brother do. He built beautiful websites, he did beautiful work on the computer and I was like, this is what I need to do. And I was, you know, I had summers of code where I was just doing Ruby on Rails for this or I was trying to learn JavaScript for that and I just really wasn't taking to it as much as I was taking to the databases, the, the, the computational things that were happening about um, the data product I was building that I found out, I was like, okay, maybe if I just commit myself to the back end of work, that's where my passion was and that's where my competencies were. And then I committed to that. And that's what led me towards Galvanize was, okay, Galvanize is up in San Francisco. I'm down in San Diego. How do I get myself up to San Francisco? So I actually changed units from uh, uh, Riverside, California up to um, the South Bay of San Francisco. And so I moved up there. I was in the major leagues and I was going to get out of the Air Force and I was going to apply to galvanize in the uh, Soma district. Oh, oh wow. And, every, and I had that whole thing going. However, when I got up there, I realized I didn't have enough savings to live off of. I ran out of savings in 10 months. Yeah. And then I was actually homeless for two months before I really? finally moved to Phoenix because I just, you know, I was bouncing around. Sleeping on couches yeah. and stuff. Having friends and stuff like that. Yeah. It really helped out. And then I was like, I could not afford this. So I moved down to Phoenix and a couple months after moving to Phoenix, I, I saw a driving around Phoenix, just trying to explore the area. I saw there was a big banner outside this construction site here in the warehouse district. You actually drove by I this drove location. I drove by. Yeah. I had given up on the dream. <laughs> That's I had crazy. given up on the dream. I moved from San Diego to San Francisco because I was going to make it happen. I ran out of money. I couldn't make it happen. I moved to Phoenix, 450% cost of living difference. Later, yeah. I'm here. I'm affording to live right now, driving around, just exploring so, the so area. So to interrupt, you didn't yeah, yeah, do it yeah. because yeah, you yeah, came yeah, here yeah. to be a web developer. You did it because it was the cost of living. Yeah, yes. so you didn't you come here to go to stumble upon yeah, it. I, ha I had to move because I couldn't afford to be where I was. So what made you pick Phoenix, though? Phoenix was, I had some family here. The closest family oh, okay. I had, it was right. either back to Orange County, California, or yep. it was to Phoenix. And Phoenix was new. I'd already done Southern California. So yep. I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's go try that one out. And, you know, Orange County is only half the price of San Francisco. Yeah. And I needed a little bit steeper of a discount for myself so hanging out here applying for jobs throughout the summer and everything come closer comes to fall driving around the warehouse district here i come across a banner coming in 2017 galvanized phoenix <laughs> location i'm like no way i was like this is it i was already i was already um just about to get a job so i was gonna have to wait it out 
worked for 10 months, waited, applied. Yep. The first cohort that came by, talked to Laura and everything. And that's, I was ready to knock on the door before the construction was done. And I was just, this was happenstance. This, this was meant to happen. They came to, we came to the same place together. I was like, this is going to happen now. So I saved up my pennies. I quit my job 10 months after I started just, you know, as a stopgap. And I was like, I'm getting in the first <laughs> one at Galvanize. But by that time I had, I had dedicated to data sciences over um, web development or, or anything because yeah. that was what I was also hired for. So the last, the, my first 10 months in Phoenix when I was working was all centric around actually a bunch of um, fraud data and analytics, which was just sharpening my skills, getting ready for it. Well, and to clarify, you did say that in your previous, you know, time looking into this stuff, you were more intrigued by the data and statistical portion of it than the, you know, UI UX of it. And that kind of leads me to another question I have for you. When we talk about, you know, web development versus data sciences, you know, in past episodes, I've, the thing I've been able to relate it to, because at Picmonic we have, you know, used to have a BI guy, was business intelligence, right? You have the UI UX guys who design the website and the front end and all that good stuff. And they work with our web developers to actually build out the website. How yep. does it look? How do you, what do you do when you get there? How does the user react? But it sounds like you were definitely more drawn to the BI type thing. So if we are going to go ahead and take your interest into, you know, the more data analytical side of it rather than the web development, does that translate, you know, in layman's terms for me to understand to more of a BI guy versus like maybe a Jamie who works at Picmonic and designs the front end? Like, what is, the, I mean, is that a good parallel to make or, or yeah, how, no, how does that work? Yeah, that's an appropriate parallel to make. I mean, the BI was there before data sciences was and statistics was there before BI was. So it, that's absolutely an appropriate thing to make uh, a connection between. And it's just nowadays since business intelligence is a little bit more framework based and data sciences is a little bit more new, I guess. A lot of BI people make the move over because they find out that, oh, the stuff I'm doing with BI is actually um, more appropriate to call data sciences or whatever it is, or statisticians or physicists or mathematicians come over from right. their respective fields yeah, because, yeah. oh, what I've been doing is actually called data sciences and there's a career in it yeah. over here doing it for X, Y, and Z industry. Right. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because so at Picmonic, we, we don't have uh, the same BI guy or whatever now, but he was an intern or we had two of them. And watching them work was watching somebody essentially code. I mean, watching them come up with the queries yeah. and come, in, come up with all, I don't even know the technical terms for it all, but watching them, you know, come up with, um, you know, different, very specified searches to, if this is this, then give me this type stuff. Um, it almost felt like that BI job was a coding job. I mean, on the surface, you think, oh, they just tell us, how much runway we have and you know all this basic top level th stuff yep. but uh, I think it's actually a lot more than that so I don't know I think in this world that those business intelligent intelligence guys are really technically data science coders in a way yeah. um, so no, absolutely if you're at a large enough company like I am you will have specific teams around that we have a data engineering team we have a BI team we have a data science team we have an analytics team and to anybody that's looking from the outside in they're like yeah those seem about to be the same type of thing they're all just coders yeah, yeah. yeah. and they and, all seem the same yeah. yeah and some of them might be coding a little bit more heavily one month over the other but if I if I needed something visually kind of 
prominent, served up visually, that's really heavy SQL based, that's actually something I would hand over to a BI team, simply because that is a little bit more about our delineation between those teams that we've come to um, define ourselves. Yeah. But that might be different from company to company or enterprise to enterprise. Sure. Or a startup, they might have one person wearing all those yeah. hats. They do BI things, they do software engineering things, they do data science things, and they wear all those hats together. They just wear them at different times. So you've been through Galvanized program, you now work for McKesson. So explain to us what you do for McKesson versus what other team members do. And to piggyback off that, if you could just explain what McKesson is and what you guys do, that would oh, yeah. be really helpful. Do that too. Yeah. So McKesson is a pharmaceutical distribution company that is also branching out into more uh, healthcare services and um, products as well. So they distribute physical goods? Yes, from um, drug manufacturers to hospitals, pharmacies, and, and places like that. So, uh, And from our team, we're on the McKesson Technology business unit, which is a part of the, the larger company where there's other business units such as U.S. Oncology, Specialty Health, Pharmacy, and stuff like that. We're specifically the in-house McKesson Technology team, and we're the core data science or insights consultant team. So what we do for McKesson Insights consultants is there are other analytic teams throughout the, the, the businesses. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing in there is we're going into those teams that have that domain knowledge and their own expertise and we help build data products with them, deliver insights for those teams. We're kind of the specialists that go get embedded okay. into these business problems along with these domain experts, along with these people that sit next to this problem all day, every day, but they need our help to build something because we have the platform, we have the data management, we have this expertise in machine learning, cloud deployment, all these other things, which were those skills that I honed from Galvanize, sure. picking up those industry relevant, cutting edge type of things. I was immediately impactful coming onto the team. You're gonna be on the core team, you're gonna help deliver these things to the business that are gonna have a dollar value attached to them. Yep. Yep. Or some make an immediate impact. Immediate yep. impact, yeah, absolutely. Now are you a little bit so I don't know if this is at all within the scope of what you just mentioned, but it sounds like there are people that are almost like a little bit more emotionally attached to the product and you guys kinda of help them manipulate it's so hard for me to express what I'm trying to say. So you, you said you're a part of a team <laughs> that helps carry out, you know, different. There's people yeah, that sit there I, all I day and see I the behavior. I wouldn't say manipulate because they don't manipulate. Well, the I mean, data. manipulate the code, yeah. manipulate the, the 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 website or the the way things work. I guess I, this is a terrible question. I'm just like not articulating it well. But I, I guess the what it all comes down to is I feel like. The designers, UI, UX type stuff, they, they are emotionally connected to the website, right? They are, you know, they love this font, they like this color, but you guys are emotionally invested in just making sure things work. You're technically not emotionally invested. You're just worried about the technicalities. You're not worried about how somebody's going to feel about the change. You just need to implement it so things work. I mean, is that, in a long-winded question way, is that accurate at all? No, that's absolutely what you right. Do? No, uh, sometimes the business unit, they're very close to the data. They're very close to the business use case and the problem. What we're there to do is actually help them get to that last mile or right. help better formulate the hypothesis or the business question or the or define the product they're trying to build. It's like, we want to do X, Y, and Z, but we don't know how to get there. And we we step in and we say, you want we understand, we hear you saying you want to do X, Y, and Z, but we need to do LMNOP before we get there, yes. and we help you get to that X, Y, and Z end goal. However, it's not that... Um, so when a 
business unit asks us for their help to consult with them about this problem they're trying to solve, this product that they're trying to deliver, whatever insights they're trying to derive out of their data. They need our expertise or our help to kind of get to that last mile. We come in there objectively. They might have an opinion about what they think the problem is. That's their hypothesis. We can help validate that. Or we're going to tell them, actually, the data says something different but they have such invaluable information about their domain expertise exactly on, that, on that data that we, it, we can't ignore that, but we take that unbiasedly into account. We say, okay, this is, seems to be a business-specific rule that they derive from their data because they're so close to it. We wouldn't know that going into it. So it's very much a team sport to say, we're gonna come in there, but we're gonna bring this other analytics team, this other data science team, and these subject matter experts, we're going to all be on the same team and we're going to help deliver this together. Make it logical. And in a way, I feel as if, now I might be over-exaggerating here as well, but I feel as if you can look at at things out of, you know, out of rose-colored glasses, as they say, and your guys' job is really to make sure, like you said, LMNOP is connected to the rest of you know ABC and to make sure that the path to get there is logical and and kind of help them take off those rose-colored glasses and kind of see what actually needs to happen to to move forward with the product um, so that that's really cool I just I think that's super um, super interesting now I want to talk I have lots of notes about things that we've mentioned <laughs> that I want to talk about Nick's, t- Nick's taking a lot of notes this session I know last last yeah. episode I, I felt like I was really pulling but again just because we know you I feel like we're just talking and it's kind of like any other Wednesday at the bar so I do want to focus for the next 10 or so minutes uh, on the galvanized course and the program because we are trying to promote galvanize's program and not only that but just web dev and, yep. and tech yep. in arizona it's not web dev it's software engineering and data time. sciences and data science or data they had you to say change data that. or data i'm from the midwest so it's data okay. i think it's data <laughs> i'm too. from the midwest too so it's data i'm from the midwest too except i was you're born not here. you're from arizona dude i don't yeah. know my family's from the midwest so i get to be yeah. you can't claim to be from chicago just because your family is you're born and raised <laughs> here in arizona dude so something I like to know about everybody that goes into the program, and especially people that come out as ahead as you and get you know a job and all that. Excuse me, eating all this broccoli is making me burp on air. I'm doing the thing I said to Bryce I would never do. Yeah, which he bitched at me for eating. We have a front row seat to this broccoli too. Eating on yeah. the way. He bitched at me for eating one episode, um, and now he's doing so it. So I'm curious to know: Did you take the accelerator program? Did you know anything about web development beforehand? Did you? jump into the program and it was like your first day it was the first time you ever learned about javascript i mean where were you at going into the i know you before you said you had done some research but where were you at going into the program? we didn't have the accelerated program when he started no and uh so i had one summer back yeah. in san diego when i actually was right after ruby on rails i was looking at javascript and i had somebody that was i was at the javascript meetups and stuff like that too but i just didn't take to it and that's when i really committed to being in, on the back end of things in Python and data science. And so actually, right after I failed at JavaScript, my first go around, just, you know, I, I didn't know how to go about it. And if I, Galvanize was closer to me, and I almost did go to a Ruby on Rails um, boot camp that was in San Diego at the time, but I was already committed to kind of going up north and gal- to Galvanize in San Francisco. However, when I moved to Phoenix and I was doing a little bit of data analysis on the back end of my work there, I was then already kind of self-studying before applying to the program 
And so there wasn't an accelerated course for data sciences. There wasn't, there was a little bit of intro to Python and statistics, intro to data science course. I took that. And then right after that, uh, before that was actually over, I already applied to the cohort. And they moved the cohort date just a slight bit, and it was accommodating for me. So I was able to do it. Otherwise, I was going to have to wait for the second cohort. They pushed it back? They They pushed it back about a month, which was actually more advantageous for me. Because I know in the beginning, we moved a lot of shit. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was one of those first ones that got got in on that um, that first cohort. Also, not to interrupt you, but coming just down the street and seeing the galvanized program and not knowing anything about it, I'd imagine that that month helped you save some money because, again, we talk so much about galvanized students yeah. and how you basically have to not work for, like, yeah, six months. Yeah, they don't work. I mean, yeah. Yeah. so... Nope. I definitely had used up my savings from California. So I had started from scratch. I worked here for 10 months, and then I told my work, I want to go to this course, and it's going to co- take me three months, and I know you guys might pay for a little bit of so it. So you were here for that long before you started Galvanic. Oh, I yes. didn't know that. Yeah, I thought he came right in and saw Yeah, I thought you nope. just came right in, too. Nope, I was actually working, and then halfway through that time, I saw that it was under construction, and it was going to come around at that same yep. time. So. I let them know ahead of time, plenty of time, I want to go to this course, it's going to help me in my job, do all of this and that, and then I told them, you know, the date's coming up, it, it's going yeah. to be this date, I'm going to leave and go do it, like, can I apply back here when I'm done, and everything was A-OK, and so, but I had to forfeit my position completely and quit, sure. so that they may hire somebody in my stead, yeah. because I would not have come back for the same position, I would have come back on the but data they science did say team. that they would yeah. consider bringing you back. Correct. That did not, however, happen because at my time at Galvanize, there was a, a hiring event that McKesson was putting on here at the location, which yep. was a huge event. And then I, my cohort and I, we all interviewed at McKesson that same day, and that was about midway through the program. And there were a few, really? few of you that got hired. There, there are four yeah. of us there now. That was yeah. midway through yeah. the program. That was a, just after midway. So we had were a midway you even, like eligible to be in the like applying to their hiring? No, absolutely. Uh, they just had to under McKesson understood that we weren't going to be done with our program until a certain date, which was fine for them because yeah. enterprises take might sometimes take a little bit longer little to bit hire longer. for. Yeah. However, now out of the seven people, including myself, that were in that first cohort, four of us actually worked together on the same team at Gal- at McKesson. At McKesson, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and they're also located here at Galvanize. So something that's super interesting that I, I take away, uh, you know, from that is that four of the seven of you got hired in McKesson and, and still work there, which is mind blowing to me. It's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. We talk crazy all the time awesome. with students about, hey, have you ever considered applying somewhere in Galvanize at one of the companies in the, the co-working space? Uh, or we ask, hey, have you been asked to work at any of the co-working spaces here? And I've always been interested to to, to kind of know that not as many students really come out of the Galvanize program and then work at companies at Galvanize. But you're a perfect example, and the three other of you, that you guys made it happen. Now, I don't know if this is a product of it more being the first cohort, and so at first it was more normal for a galvanized company to hire some people right out of the program. But uh, I think that's something we don't see as much this past few months, and I'm that's just incredible to hear that your story kind of formed that way, and then you had peers around you that were able to also mani- not manipulate. Well, and what's cool to me about what's cool, what's really cool to me about David's situation is not only did he get high, not only did he go through our program, but he got hired by a company that we have a program with, and now they actually have space within our space yeah so and so now i get to give david shit every day this is true which which i do um but i think it's totally cool that 
Now McKesson has a suite in our space. Wait, McKesson was not here when That's you got here. I was going to no. say that. Uh-huh. Oh, well, it's then matter. I take however, everything I no, said back. However, yeah. it, you, 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 had a, you were right, however. We had a corporate agreement with Galvanize, actually. So bef- I didn't know about that, but McKesson has kind of corporate direct training mm-hmm. through Galvanize yep. for some of its data analytics teams to go through a abbreviate an abridged version of the data science cohort to kind of bring them up to speed on new technologies and techniques. So that actually did exist before I got there. However, yep. after I was hired at McKesson, McKesson's um, technology leadership wanted to continue to be engaged with Galvanize, be a part of the startup community and the tech community in the area. That was one of their initiatives. So the chief executive officer for our CTO at McKesson engaged with a couple of us alumni that were actually working at McKesson to ask us, hey, what is your opinion about McKesson getting a suite down there at Galvanize where you guys are from? And keeping you know a face with the community, you guys can work out of that shared workspace. It's going to yep. be an innovative, creative kind of space. The, the data science team can work out of there, and some other teams can engage down there. And then we want you guys to kind of be the liaisons to the community still, because yep. you you have you know lineage there and whatnot. And that's like that actually middleman. how it came around. We were, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome that I they had have no idea. I totally thought that you guys were just here. Nope. Oh no, we got it shortly after we were hired at McKesson. It was yeah, July, shortly after you guys July got hired, last year. You came in. Yeah. So, so riddle me this. Yeah. Obviously, you guys had the program or the, you know, process already built out that they were working with Galvanize, right? But did they come to you? And if this isn't too much to give up or whatever, did they come to you and <laughs> at all and ask? Do you think this is in a good place to work for us? Do you think that we'll be effective here? Do you think that the community is right? I mean, did they already kind of have their eyes set on wanting to be a part of it and they knew that you guys would be comfortable here? Or did they kind of look to the four of you to find out more about the space and the culture? No, they they were definitely set on us, on coming down here and having some sort of representation for McKesson at the Galvanized Workspace and through the um, the Technology Council that's in the, in the community here in Phoenix. However, they did value our opinion about it. So we had a seat at the table when they were having these discussions with Diana and Merrill when it was happening. Yep. Wow, and so cool. that was really great. I, we were happy to be invited and we were like, yeah, of course, we, we, I'd be happy to sit down there yeah. and have a space there, get to see some of the, the friends and family that we've kind of made down here over our years. And that, so we voted yes and it was kind of um, just validation for them that if they were to get the space who's going to work down here and what yeah. is the intent and what are the, the takeaways we're trying to get out of being in this space and they, they knew we had um, kind of ties to it and so they wanted to lean on that a little bit and that's kind of how it kind of came to fruition something I want to bring up here uh, and I don't know how cliche this is going to sound so oh well if it does <laughs> throw it out there being valued by a company or not even a company being valued by anybody in life and having a spot at that table to me is one of the biggest motivators you can have to know that you're coming into a company and you have a say at least to some degree in what's happening and they value your yeah, opinion it, and they trust you to be there opinion. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. I mean I think that's huge so when I got hired to pick Monic three and a half four or about four or four and a half years ago now that I'm actually thinking about it I was only 17 or 18 years old yet I had a spot at some of the biggest meetings and yeah. they, they'd come to me and they say what do you think we should do with this audio what do you think we sh- uh, you know not just specifically like you know an audio or a project they'd ask you know Overall, how do you think we should approach this this whole department? Yeah. Do you think we having that say and having the feeling of, of trust and and your elders and people that have been at the company longer than you really put that and instill that trust in you was 
a huge catalyst to my success and I think yeah. it made me feel one comfortable yeah. at the company and two allowed me to do my best work because I wasn't looking over yeah. my shoulder like do they trust me or not so yeah. I thought that was really an interesting little tidbit that you brought up that you you know had a spot at the table because for me that was huge and I don't know if for you that felt like that uh, at the time I know you've already had a lot of experience in life at this time so it might have been different but um, I think that's really unique well I mean just knowing that people want you invited to that kind of thing to express your opinion to whether they whether it changes their opinion or not right whether they take it or leave it they take it or leave it yeah but they're willing to listen to what you want to think and what you want to say that's huge yeah no it would it's a 185 year old company yeah McKesson. however so however the team is relatively new and so that's why yeah. we our voice matters we get a vote on what we're doing because they well, i mean this kind of technology didn't exist no and, and, it, and it was ago, outsourced 15 years ago and it was outsourced for mckesson yeah. for a very long time yeah. and so there's, wow, you're not kidding they've been around for a while yeah and so however yeah, so, old the company may be yeah. the team is new and what we're doing is new and it's very yeah. fast moving so they need us to help guide and direct because we're the people the individual contributors the individual data scientists and data engineers on the team that have their hands on every day doing these things however we do have to uh, kind of deliver business value so we have a lot of leadership above us that have faith in us and we have faith in them so those use cases that come down to build the pharmacy of the future to you know deliver value across the enterprise through the business units for US oncology and pharmacy and specialty health to deliver these types of things and products, they lean on us as much as we lean on them for yeah. their guidance, their expertise and direction, and they lean on us for our expertise and our direction to say, yep. can you validate this technology is is good? If we were to go with this vendor, do you, would you work with them? Do you enjoy their technology and stuff like that? Those are the conversations that we have back and forth and say, hey, I like this tech. As a data scientist on the team, I like this tech. Can we try to you know get them on board? Yeah. Maybe our leadership says like, no, we weren't able to work it out, but we have your second favorite option to go with. So I can, I feel comfortable being able to talk to our leadership that way, and I, I hope they're just as comfortable listening to me to say and value my yeah. opinion to say, hey, when I say something's good or no good, yeah, please you know take heed with that. When I say something's no yeah. good, don't buy it anyway just because we got a good deal. And I don't feel they do that at all. I think they well, and ho- hopefully it's like good communication between the two as well. Yeah, very transparent, yeah. very accountable, and yep. that's a big thing for us is is an agile mindset and move fast. It's okay to break some things. We're not locked into anything crazy. It's it's about us building value for me, but yeah. that's that, that's a very much small scale thing. I'm an individual contributor, a part of a much larger team, but I make sure I always have that vision in mind when I'm building things. I'm not I'm not becoming this silo in this enterprise. Yeah, you're not thinking about just yourself. You're thinking about the team where this can go and how it can help the company as a whole rather than just yeah. this is my idea this is no, what it's it a team be. it's a team sport yeah, everything totally. i do is for the team yep for whether they're going to benefit it from it for tomorrow or they're going to benefit from us building this thing 5 now? years or the yeah. person i leave this legacy to they're going to benefit from it from that yep. so it's a team sport it's not it's about how you can bring the others up and stuff like that but they're all such new problems because yeah. the team is young and the team is new and young in existence not young in age we have a very wide breadth of experience coming yeah. all the way from across mckesson's um kind of data and analytics teams bi databases yeah. data engineering all these other things i get to learn things all the time every project i get onto i'm working with other people in other business units and so yeah. i learn all these different things about this whole 185 80 
plus year lineage of this company and all these systems we've touched in the past, whether it's a legacy system or not, yeah. then I get, I'm the, I'm the new guy, I'm the young kid that's coming in here and I get to say, hey, what about this new tech? We could build this. And like, oh, I have no idea about that. It's like, well, I do. Let's, let me teach you about yeah. it and you teach me about this. And we both bring, we both kind of come up together. Well, and the other part of that is that's what's going to happen now and what's going to happen in five years might not be the same thing. So you might, you know, be helping the team now and in five years it could be totally different. Okay, hey, wait, we need to look at it from this way. Like a different scope. It could be a totally different scope. Yeah, absolutely. And if, but if we build the things right now, changing it shouldn't be as painful as shouldn't it has be been bad. over the, like, yeah, the last exactly. 30 years where you're moving yeah. from Oracle to the cloud or you're moving yeah, from X right. to A, B yeah, to C. Exactly. Right. So if yep. we build it a little bit better now, knowing what we know now, moving yep. ahead. And we have a, I feel like I have a lot of leash with my product owners, my team leads, um, our yep. data analytics um, leadership at the at the C level for McKesson Technology. They let me be creative still. They give me the leash to go out and exercise and build these things. And then I come back to the team and I say, look what I built and how how it's going to help us. I justify it, obviously. They, they're not just going to take it blindly yeah. and say like, oh, okay, David built this. When David's gone, it's going to break kind of thing. Yeah. That's, that's not, you can't do that anymore. And no, I think nobody's going to make away with that. Go ahead, Nick. You don't want to make proprietary things that'll break later that only you can solve. Absolutely not. But that's, yeah, no, you don't want You that. come across Definitely that a lot not. nowadays. Yeah. And, and uh, a colleague of mine, Ted Staber, he calls it tribal knowledge and tribal lore. And so I love when he says that because you go into tribal this system. Lord. And it, lore. So L O R E. But you go, but there, sometimes there's a tribal lord involved with it. There's there like is. this old yeah, system totally. that's a silo that's not connected to anything. And there's only like three yeah. people that know about it. And if you go or in there, they just, they just tell these fireside stories yeah. about like, oh, well, this is how we built it and this is but they were never originally the people that built yep. it so there's just this but if you threw any sticks into the fire it, it would put it out kind of thing so there's yeah. this like tribal lore and this tribal knowledge that gets passed on so now when we build systems these days like you can't have those anymore it has to be transparent and you have to have yeah. you know access and stuff like that too and when you pass it on there's got to be documentation do you think that's not to go on a, on a different tangent but do you, do you think that scares a lot of people when it comes to the workforce that more people know how to do a certain task than yes. just one person knowing? It's the job security, the old mindset. Um, it's the from, old mindset. Yeah, but that's that tribal mindset where, yeah. you, hey, this is securing my job. Like, I know how to do this. Yes. I'm the only one that I'm knows how to do it. How, however, yeah. I get joy from my job by being able to solve the problems because there will always be another problem to solve and I get to move oh, on totally. to doing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, and that's the thing. <laughs> don't People say like, oh, guys, you're yeah, all the if same. You, if you automate this, you're all the same. If you automate this, are you going to be out of a job? I was like, no, they're just going to pay me to automate God, another thing yeah. or build another thing. There's like, always going to be something yeah. else. Every it's, single person we've had on, can, uh, yeah. literally yeah, every teacher awesome. that we had on, and I don't know if the students have at all said this, but for sure the teachers, because that's been like the past four episodes, yeah. have continuously said, as soon as there's not a problem for me to solve, I'm not doing my job. I don't have a job anymore. Yep. Because web development, coding, whatever it is, tech is always about solving an issue. Yep. Making a solution for something. Making something There's easier. always something to figure out. There, the, always. The, everybody that's been on and literally keeps saying And if there's nothing to figure that. out, then... Yeah. Unbelievable. So might wanna, as well go work at McDonald's or something. I want to touch on a few things. But we're, uh, we're working on automating those kiosks too. The so McDonald's. Those, yeah, those are good because they charge machine me, learning right there. They charge me different amounts every time I go on weekends. Yeah. 
those are just really slow at the moment. But other than that, <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a few things. I mean, you guys just wrapped on a lot right there in the past ten minutes. I feel and and there's so much going through my head. <laughs> First, I'll, I'll work backwards because we've already kind of moved off the topic of what I wanted to bring up. But um, making it easy for your successor, I think this is huge. Being transparent in the the systems that you invent and and. and not invent, but um, introduce into different companies. For me in audio, the, the best way that I can relate to it is, you know, I've had three interns in the past four years that have come in at different times when I was overwhelmed or, you know, was in school or whatever it was, I had to have people come in. And the first time, it was amazing how much I learned about, you know, training, how much I didn't have processes like secured and cemented in I just had them in my head and I knew that I could do my job well but there was really no easy way to pass that off to somebody else without me sitting down for a week and explaining the intricacies um, and, and and then the second time I was so much more ready for the intern I had all these PDF documents and tutorials and like just kind of shorthand words you might need and buzz whatever it was I so much more understood how to make that transparent and how to have somebody come in and do my job without me being there to explain it all. And I think uh, it's just almost gave me the chills hearing that that happens a lot in your industry too. I mean, I thought that was just me, but I guess when you think about it, it's not even just business, it's not tech, it's, it's just life. If you can make what you do, you know, easy for your successor to come in and, 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 and copy, that's more oftentimes than not going to set you up for success. And I know immediately you were saying, well, it's the idea of I don't want to get myself out of a job because now I'm telling somebody exactly how to do my job just as well as me. I'm reading this book right now called The Go-Giver. Um, lots of people consider it as one of the highly suggested like business self-help books. And I don't care if anybody laughs. I've been reading a lot of business <laughs> self-help books. I've never even heard of it. But the idea is that... Uh, the more you give, the more value is returned. And it's kind of the idea of content marketing is how I would relate it in real life is you go out there and, you know, people, audio guys on that huge audio guys that have created big names for themselves will go out and put tutorials on exactly how to mix drums or edit voiceover or something. And they'll be so transparent and tell the audience literally exactly what they're doing, all their trade secrets. And, and upon first glance, any listener would say, wow, they're just giving away their trade secrets. But what they're really doing is creating a relationship. They're creating uh, rapport. They're creating uh, credibility. And it's all these things and the kind of the, the cheesy idea of karma that, that really lead lead back to us in a positive manner. So that's what I'll have to say on that. I think making it easier for your successor is huge. Too many people are scared that their successor is going to come in and blow them out of a job. And I think that if you're open, transparent, and actually effectively put in processes, that's more valuable than hiding your secrets. Oh, totally. I agree 100%. So that's kind of my outlook on that. But something that I want that was huge... um, I think when leadership, so McKesson's successful, and they've been around since whatever my computer's saying, 1882 it looks like, something crazy like that. Uh, I had no idea, but until you mentioned it and I looked it up, and that's totally true. And there are billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of you know, revenue has gone through this. So it's not like a small company. I think that's definitely uh, something that has to do with that is the fact that the employers look to the employees for answers and actually trust you guys. You go back to saying you have leash to to mess up or try new things. That's huge. Like that's way huge. Leadership that yeah. 
values the opinion and can realize that their employee's opinion might be actually more educated than theirs because they're not hands-on or haven't been around it or whatever, I think is what directly relates to a lot of this success. And I think McKesson, everything you've kind of outlined about them today, uh, seems to be that they trust you and that trust is instilled from the beginning, even you as a student coming out of the program, even you now as being, you know, kind of a more senior member, uh, that trust I feel as if it's what's really propelled you to build your team out better, do your job better, not be looking over your shoulder. And um, I think more employees trusting their, and more employers trusting their employees would lead to greater results. I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, you want to work for a company that values the opinions of their employees. You don't want to work for, in my opinion, this is just my thought. You don't want to work for somebody that they tell you what to do, don't ask you your thoughts, they ask you what you think about what you do or what they do or what the company does, that's the kind of company that I would want to work for. It's very motivating to walk into that scenario. And I'm fortunate enough to have been doing that for years now before I actually even got to McKesson. The officer in the Air Force I was working for on this program uh, that got me into data and analytics and programming in general. He gave me that initial taste of what leadership looks like when they trust you and they like the results they're getting out of the trust they have in you, these data products, these things you're building. They're like, I don't know what it is you're doing. I don't understand it completely, but I like the results. So I'm going to allow allow you to keep doing this. Just explain it to me so I can sound smart in front of the other people (laughs) that I talk about it. I go talk to the board. And so so I was super fortunate uh, for having that kind of leadership in the Air Force before I left. And then getting that again at McKesson at my first, yeah, you know, civilian sure. job and in the yeah. real world and all this other yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah, even even in not necessarily only the workforce today, but even in the military, it doesn't operate the same way it did 20 years ago. So, people like yourself and others that they will ask them their opinion on how to go about missions, tactics, and now at McKesson, the last year impression, or what you think should be done. I mean, that's huge, and that's the way the world should go. Yeah, coming out of the military, it was I, I desired that structure a lot still. I needed that structure in my life, but I still really... But at the same time, you really have your own opinion on stuff. And that's stuff, the thing, though. that's the creativity yeah. part of it. I, yeah. I, I eventually com- found that I, I desired this creativity, but I yeah. love the structure of it. So, you know, I get enough structure out of having a job and a place to drive to every day to go work with my team. Yep. But when I'm there, I get to do whatever I need to do yep. that day to build whatever I need to build, whatever's on the backlog, whatever it is. So yep. I have this great balance between structure... Uh, and then creativity with agile development in the enterprise yeah. is where I'm at. And that is, I'm so fortunate to have that exact thing going for me right now. Yeah. That it's, they're going to have to kick me out the door before <laughs> I give any of that up. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's way cool. Well, I think it's kind of about having that spine to base everything off of. Yes, you, you're a creative being and everything, but creative beings without a little bit of a spine tend to just explode everywhere. Yeah. So I feel as if having that little bit of that structure um, helps you be more effective and actually utilize your creativity when you're at work and with your team rather than kind of just 
being an explosion of creativity and being yeah. super unfocused and whatnot. Oh, yeah. If that was the case, I'd have a bunch of Jupiter notebooks with a bunch of data science going on with them with, like, untitled underscore 25 attached And I would just have this whole exploratory data analysis directory computer with a bunch of junk on it. But that structure is agile, backlog, development, deliver, these, these iterations, that structure, which allow me to be creative to solve the problems, problem-solving creativity, but in the end, I have to deliver things. And you get you get a lot of satisfaction out of that, too. I solved this problem for the business, or I'm helping them realize yeah. this, or we just deployed this to production. Like, the first time I deployed something to production, or, or it was a pilot into a, a kind of production environment, was I was at a coffee shop in Old Town Phoenix, Scottsdale. You deployed from and, Old and Town Phoenix. And I pushed the deployment for that. Well, the whole thing was, is, is like I was working in the office, and I just really wasn't getting it done. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go you know, leave the office, head my way yep. home. And I was like, oh, actually, I want to go stop by the coffee shop because they're having like the live music night over at this coffee shop in Old Town. And so on my way, I stopped in there and I kind of got this thing done. But the reason was, is because it was like galvanized. It was this kind of chaotic, working open environment. And I I solved one problem, two problems that kind of got me to be able to, you know, push it, push it to production. And it worked. And I was just like, oh, so this is my first like enterprise push to production experience, which is sitting in the middle of this loud coffee shop in my own little world. And I would, if, you know, if I was in a a nine to five job, had to be in my seat at this time, had to leave by this time, can't clock more than these hours and I'm in a cubicle all day, I would never have felt motivated. I would never have gotten back. I would never have got back on my computer until I rolled in the next day and I probably had forgotten about what it was. When you think about the the future of this industry that we're specifically speaking to, I think the the students and the people, not even students, but the people that are going to be coming up in development and coding and all that stuff, they're probably not picturing your scenario of de- launching, you know, uh, putting out their first build. They're probably thinking they're sitting in the yeah. office at yeah. 11 p.m. at night. It's dark. Everybody's gone. Yeah. And they're, you know, releasing the build. Well, like when, you said, sitting in the cubicle. Yeah. And that, that's what they envision. But it's not like that. It's, not it's like so that much anymore. of life. No. You know, uh, yeah. this is going to be the stupidest parallel that I've ever made on this show. Actually, I've made way dumber parallels. I was going to say, say it first, and then we'll determine. I go snowboarding a lot. And I've been to Colorado three times this year, and generally I don't drive to Colorado. Uh, in the past, this has you know, got my new car, and I, I said this year is the year that I'm going to go skiing somewhere else. All three of those drives, two of them I was driving through blizzards, and I could see the inclement weather was happening before I went on the drives, and then one of them was kind of fine. What's really interesting to me is that Going into the drives, I always have this idea of what it's going to be like. Oh my god, we're driving into a blizzard. We're going to get stuck on the side of the road. I'm packing like food and like all this the warm clothes, <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking in my mind it's going to be like a whiteout, and it's just going to be like the side of a cliff, and I'm sliding off, and I have all these things in my head pictured, and then we get there and start driving, and it's like we're just driving. You know, it's the normal. Snow. It's nothing like I thought yeah, it would be. I know that's a funny parallel to make, but I kind of think that's how that is. So. Um. All right, well, we did just come back from a little bit of a break as you heard the swoosh come into the the episode here. But uh, we're running a little bit over the normal time that we end this, but David is one of our friends, like we mentioned here at Galvanize, so we are feeling pretty comfortable, I'd say. This uh, is true. At this point. (laughs) Let's lighten the load up a, a little bit and talk about ping pong because it was on my list of things to mention to you as you are the ping pong connoisseur but not only that 
you know, as if anybody's listened to oh, maybe so our episode with Avery or some of the other students, ping pong downstairs is a huge is staple. It's a big thing. It's a big staple for the galvanized people. And so I want to know from David, do you know that we have two ping pong tables now? I, I have heard about this okay. so-called second table that was okay. brought around, but I right. think it's in the super secret lounge you guys have, and I haven't been invited to that one yet because that's, I think as soon as I'm down there, I'm going to know where it is, and I'll be down there a lot more. It's less of a lounge and more of a storage room. Yeah, and that's Does just it, so we don't have to bring that one up. Mm, okay, I from understand. the other space. So it's not like you're hiding it from me. You just haven't found a place to put it yet. Um, that's oh, a little bit of both. Okay. Not I think hiding, they're hiding it from it. you. No. Okay. They don't but. want to let the beast fully out of his cage yeah. because if we had the ability to have two ping pong tables, the tournament size would grow massive. Massive. Yeah, we had yeah. we had a uh, 56 people attend that last tournament actually. Yeah. That actually participated. No, so actually, next so time. we had 30, 36 participants and fifty-six people in the grandstands at the finale. That's unbelievable. This is true. This so, is true. So eighty whatever people in total. In total, were had their hands yeah. in on that tournament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this way, we can leave the ping pong table downstairs for semifinals or mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. you know, rec, rec read, games. Read out the week. Yeah. And then we have a ping pong table upstairs a for brand the new amphitheater wow so that we can just roll in there and just go from there wow so that's impressive why yeah. don't we talk a little bit about that tournament uh, i know it's not a lot to jump into it only take us about a minute or two but what in your opinion since i, I we are talking to the true galvanized ping pong connoisseur the right organizer now, of the ping pong tournament what in your opinion uh drew the students to do this i mean was there somebody i know there was a leaderboard app for a while but that wasn't at the beginning that it was started i mean like what turned ping pong from an, a hobby that you guys did in between certain classes and break times into like an actual competition, an app, and all that? Why don't you guys go through the galvanized <laughs> ping pong story? It got it got pretty serious there for a minute. Really I'm serious. not gonna lie. Yeah. It so got it's, pretty heated. It, it's yeah. calmed down yeah. since then over the la- <laughs> over this new year. However, so when I first got here as a student, and I was uh, as a student come in and oh hey, there's a ping pong table, and I grew up. My grandparents had one in their basement back in Michigan, and so. I I knew how to play and I was like hey you know I I can volley the ball back and forth I must be okay but at my old work up in Scottsdale there was a table there too and I thought I was good then and I learned to play a little bit with the software engineers out of my old company and I really learned how good I wasn't so when I came (laughs) here I thought I was gonna be like top dog off the bat yeah however my instructor Anakit uh, Majumdar he was like oh killer dude killer isn't he like the leader he was a senior data science instructor and so two of us students Tyrone who works over at Mindshift and I go in there to kind of just on break we go in there you know hash it out a little bit get a little bit of a stretch in there Anakit comes in there like a ninja and he's just like, dude, oh, he's oh. badass. And he, he goes in there nice and slow, warms up a yeah. little bit, and all of a sudden he breaks out all these like pro moves, he's forehands badass. it. Yeah. So the that's kind of how we got started. And then we started making friends with the web development cohorts that were kind of around in the other rooms. And so all of a sudden we start making friends on the ping pong table. Somebody comes in, we start doing this whole back and forth, get to know each other and all this other stuff. And then now it starts becoming this regular break inside there and then around lunchtime. And then all of a sudden- It's I, all synchronized and then at this I had, point. Then, then we go in there, Tyrone finds his old racket that back at home in storage. I buy one offline. And so now all of a sudden we're 
carrying your own rackets into class. <laughs> and now, is it offline or online? Wouldn't you buy it online? Was I always it, was it, when people say oh, it offline. Outside, yeah. you buy it I, meant, I meant offline like in real life. No, I, meant, I meant it IRL, but yeah. it was definitely okay. online IRL. So Just had to interrupt you for that. <laughs> yeah. So you bought it I bought online. it online in real life. And so now that's the one they reference when it's in my back pocket and I walk around with it. It is still my Stiga Carbon uh, that it's I got It's got a online. yellow cover on it. Just Have you know. ever lost with it? Oh, absolutely. There, th- and I'll get to that in a minute. So there's a story to this. And so it goes, you know, we're just playing a little wreck. We, the data science team starts playing against the web devs, and then it was individual. So Tyrone and I had our own little competition. But whenever it come to, came to doubles, it was always data science versus web dev in, in the galvanized cohorts here in Phoenix. Like, we'd have this competition. So whenever it was doubles happening, Tyrone was always my partner, or Annika was my partner. It was always web dev versus data science. We had that little competition between kind of cohorts and programs like that eventually more cohorts come in it's going everybody's kind of getting involved and they're like hey you know this is getting really competitive and then we get this leaderboard application out there everybody signs up for it you can get track your wins losses and scores and then it gives you your win probabilities so you actually have your win your like record on. oh absolutely and so then we didn't expect this but when that got put up there the leaderboard everybody started getting a lot more serious because it was out there people could see it 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 was official and so that was up there so on on the app uh, a website called pong up there was this leaderboard so we started subscribing to that for like 15 bucks a month and everybody was just in on it (laughs) fast forward to about a year later i'm now graduated have the space here at uh, mckesson's suite here at galvanize and i'm back on the ping pong table downstairs i'm back baby i'm back on the ping pong table i got my racket there's all new cohorts happening, and the and the tradition is carried on. The, the competition is still stiff around here. So I come in there, but at the office where I was before I moved back here, they didn't have a table. So I was out. Rusty. Of, I was rusty. I was the old champ. I come in here. You're just you're old, the gray bro. wolf, the old champ. Everybody wanted a piece of me. The, the software engineering instructors, they all remembered me. They're like, oh, hey, students, this is the old champion guy. This is the old dog. <laughs> so they started taking bites out of the me like hungry dog. sharks. And I started bleeding in the water, and then more sharks came. <laughs> and I realized, like, these. I the, love the way you're the describing level, this. The level it's of awesome. competition had raised up tenfold since I left. And I was like, oh, shoot, have I lost it? Am I really that rusty? So I spend a couple extra hours there a week, really nailing down the game. Out in the gym, like hours. I, I get week. I get a gym membership, just working out my forehand, and just, and I'm, just I'm literally joined, just going. A ping I go pong gym yeah, membership. I go ham on the table for a couple weeks at, when we got our membership here. I missed everybody too, and I got to know a bunch of students. This again is like the baseball the players' equivalent of spring training. This, this really yeah. was. It's like pitchers and catchers showing yeah, up early yeah. for spring yeah, training. Yeah, David's showing up for spring training. <laughs> Except reporting. I needed to. I needed to. I was getting beat like an old dog. So I quickly again with the old dog. Yeah, well, I I feel like as young as I am, I needed to retire my jersey. You're like Thirty, dude. <laughs> so well, in ping pong years, that's like sixty-five. Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's, so that's what all. times yeah. uh, one times yeah. two point one? That's older to me in ping pong years. Yeah. yeah. So that was how it started. And so we got back here, and then, you know, the, the competition is really heated up. There's other startups in the area that are really playing heavily. Zillow had a bunch of representatives. Zyratog had a bunch of people Zillow playing. Zillow got into Bull it. Bull got into it. Like, yeah. And so there are all these people. Banner Health was into it. Everybody that was kind of oh, sitting Banner there. Banner had some good guys, yeah. You, you don't normally see these people because everybody's locked in their offices or running around because, you know, it's yeah. a busy startup community. But you catch them on their breaks. 
two to three times a day downstairs. You'll catch them either yeah. in the morning, at lunch, or after hours. That's kind of when people take their breaks. So you might catch them on and off depending yeah. on the days or who's traveling or not. And so you get to make these friends around these startups and in these in the in the student programs. And everybody started going like, oh, hey, David, we should have a tournament. We should have a tournament. And so eventually I was like, all right, we're going to throw yeah. one. And so I coordinated with... Uh, the galvanized staff before we started i got the okays for everything and initially it was like all right just keep it in the basement do whatever it was you know just you know don't break anything and and uh you know whatever just put it on the the slack channel and whatnot and then all of a sudden we started getting like a lot of traction and attention yeah, for it. It, it blew up it, it blew awesome. up real quick yeah, and they're like hey cool. we're gonna move it upstairs we're gonna try to put it in the audit uh the atrium the sky amphitheater the, no not the first one was the skyline area we're gonna just yeah, bring it upstairs where it's like half there. the size of the amphitheater yeah. and they're like hey just have it upstairs but then even more traction and attention started happening then it was going to the amphitheater then we're getting catering for the restaurant here and then you know, 36 people, you know, the tournament's already st halfway through at this point. Like yeah. we're, we're through the group stage. Yep. So we did a two-stage tournament, group stage, just yeah, like the FIFA. What the bracket FIFA. look like? Uh, I still have it saved on the computer. I'm just not, I don't have it in front of me. So right, I mean, not specifically, but just we had, had the qualifiers. It was a two-stage tournament, double on limb. We had a group stage in the beginning to figure out where your seed was. Yep. So people played each other at least twice. 1v1 or 2v2? It was 1v1, one one and it was, one, um, yeah. it was um, 2 out of 3 to 11. And so uh, people got to play six games in the group stage against each other. With, and two people from the group of four, two of those moved on to the, um, the two-stage, the, the double-limb actual tournament bracket. And so that was great. And uh, we had only a couple people that had to drop out because they were traveling for business or whatever it was, and we just yep. backfilled it with the next replacement person. So we had a whole bracket, 30 people, or 32 people, and we just went from there, double a limb. It was a little hectic getting people scheduled because we're in this co-working space, but you see some of those people so often, you say, hey, we need so-and-so to play. I know you're friends with them, just let them know, and then all of a sudden their games get done. And so we used this website called Challenge, and it was great, super like web-based bracket. You moved along, you got yep. to talk to everybody, and it was, and we threw it up on the big screen in the auditorium in the end. And, all that. and so eventually, we're in the auditorium. Bryce helps me move the table all the way up from downstairs. <laughs> we didn't think it was going to fit in the elevator at first because it's, you know, it's a ping it pong table. It fit pretty well, though. But it was, was yeah, we're fine. Yeah. We were all surprised, and I was happy yeah. because having that thing downstairs would have turned away a lot of people from attending. Yeah, but the I fact agree. that it was catered in the auditorium yep. and there were that many people there. It was a there. legit event. It was legit. I, so it legit. It was so legit. Dude. I dressed up. I dressed up. I got a white I had a suit on. I had a gray jacket, white polo, white shorts. It was very he was Wimbledon straight, style. I went he Wimbledon was straight style up line for judge. it. And I had, a high, I had a raised chair and a microphone so I was watching the net and we had the players in there. So it was a it was really cool. A lot of the students and instructors and and and, and, and members here were showed up there like, dude, are we really having it in here? We had the big screen, we had the auditorium. They're like, this is yeah. way more legit than I had anticipated. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was it was awesome. It was very cool. Yeah, it was we, very cool. We had a great turnout. We ran we ran through food and booze, and we had 50 yeah. pe 56 people in there. I counted at one point because I was like, man, there are way more people than I expected. And 56 yeah. people in there at one point watching the quarterfinals. Just watching. Just watching. Just watching, yeah. You know, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. I've seen a few failed um, I won't name names, times, dates, places, people. <laughs> I've seen a few failed presentations in the, the Galvanize Auditorium. And I found that it's a lot harder to get people to come out to an event than you think it is. It yep. really, oh, really, truly yeah. is. I mean, you could get you could garner so much attention and so much uh you know yep. momentum while you're at work but you talk to a lot of industry professionals after five o'clock and 
all of that motivation from lunchtime when they you know still had five hours of their day left and that was just their lunch goes away yeah, uh, so to see that you guys were able to do that with the space is and one huge yeah. and on a Friday too oh I it, mean it was a Friday right it was a Friday it yeah. was a Friday yeah to get folks to hang out here no. on a Friday after 5 o'clock mm-hmm. or after 4 o'clock it, we, we went up 4.30 to about 8.15 yeah. is how long that I lasted mean, and it was it was a large group it was, yeah. it was awesome it was fun so this is a kind of a great place to sort of start wrapping up the conversations, but something that you mentioned in your whole talking about the ping pong tournament that really blew my mind and is truly a takeaway. Um, we're not just talking about ping pong and having fun here for the past 10 minutes. And honestly, I didn't think we could talk about ping pong for 12 minutes, but we just did it. I now realize <laughs> why amazing. we did. You mentioned something while you were speaking that I don't even think you realize you said, but I think it's the biggest takeaway here you said all of a sudden all the different people from different startups and companies started showing up downstairs and they wanted to hang out and we started making connections and being friends i think maybe you inadvertently overlooked that but when it comes back to the co-working space yeah. isn't that what galvanizes yeah, no, here i think for? i, I mean, take that for granted because i yeah. talk about it like oh i know i know the banner guys i know the Zyrotalk guys i know bowl i know so-and-so whoever it is but i know like I know that person by name and then I don't think about like oh the whole reason I know them is because of this thing this that space. I'm participating yeah. in in this space yeah. and and I've you know it's been a year two years now I've been around yeah. that I almost take it for granted now until you've actually yeah. pointed it out yeah. Mm. yeah I mean when you think about it the ping literally it sounds so crazy but the ping pong the ping pong aspect of galvanize is almost a catalyst to exactly what galvanize is promoting which is unity amongst companies in 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 one space and literally i mean it's so true i've been down there not as much as you guys i mean i went down there to get my ass beat by a guy named tom i believe his name's tom (laughs) old guy white hair kind of short oh i know tom I think yeah, he's he knows me too. He whoops some <laughs> serious ass. He was we'll he would, bleep that out, but yeah, man, does he whoop some butt? And when I went down there, it was just the same exact exact experience for me. People say, "Hey, what do you do? Where do you work?" And then you end it, up. It's introducing a conversational start. When you start vol- yeah. when you start warming yeah. up for ping pong, you literally do your introductions there. If you don't yeah. know the person, then now you know them, and now you're playing this ping pong. It's a little bit of a bonding experience. And ping pong is synonymous with all the events that go on here, whether it's a um, Arizona Technology Council event going on, or if it's a meetup event going on, or if it's a Coplex event going yeah. on, whatever it is, like you, you constantly have to talk to the other player. You have to. Oh, absolutely. Because not either one of you remembers the score as it yeah, goes. So you're so always true. constantly saying, yeah. "Okay, is it eight to 12? Or, or if you're on the bench waiting 10. for the game to finish, you're talking to yeah. these, you're talking to students that are having their yeah, lunch in there. Totally. You're talking to somebody else that's waiting yeah. to get on the table. Oh, are you in line right now? Oh, they're only yeah. halfway through the game. Hey, you what do you do? Next, what do you do? Whatever. Yeah. You, that kind of thing. So yeah. now we just need to start the ping pong dating app for Galvanize. I don't come think down, we get your uh, your match made in heaven. I don't, I don't think we need no. to do that. No. So the the previous app we had did have a feature that said like your most the best match like it promoted the closest match like win percentage if it was 50 50 out of and you both have played 25 games individually it did promote like who would be the best match to play against each other because it was like number one and number two against each other would have been the greatest yeah. however i don't know about the dating aspect i don't of know it. about a dating app no. like i like yeah. the matchup aspect of it but i don't think uh eHarmony is selling out that algorithm to integrate with a pong up app <laughs> yeah. i wouldn't ex- i wouldn't expect ping pong to come up on eHarmony. This has been fun. <laughs> I haven't had this much 
ease speaking to somebody that we've had on here in a while, so I appreciate you being very open and normal, as you usually are. We could probably do another, like, three of these and still go for another could, three probably, hours. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to have to end it here at an hour and 20 just to... We'll get David back. To cap it on. We'll get David again. back on. I guess the last question I want to ask you... Ooh, here it is. It's an important one. The trigger. How's that 401k looking? <laughs> you know what? At a company like McKesson, I'm happy to match. I was going to say, it's got to be pretty fucking good. The benefits at McKesson are more than I need, and I'm super happy that uh, they offer them to us. So I have yeah. to thank them. Awesome. I don't even know what that entails or means. All I know is that <laughs> David gives me an unrelentless amount of for not setting up my 401k after I said I'd do it a year ago, not a month. It so. was last year. It wasn't 365 days. But, so. uh, you know, that's the same vein as Bryce giving me crap for not releasing these <laughs> podcasts for a year. Yeah, when so. are you going to post this one, bro? This one I'm going to actually try you to make like happen. You got like five, but, five you know, in the hopper. We'll so Just work backwards, so this one's first up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, David Wrench, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Bryce. Later.